Do you all like Christmas? I do. My kids think I'm a little nutty on it because I've got, do you all use Pandora? Do you know what I mean when I say Pandora? By the way, that's a Greek word. It's two Greek words, just for your information. Pan means all, Dora means gift. And so the idea is the gift of all music, right? That's, that's what it is. I finally figured it out. I was staring at it for a long time and I went, wait a second, I know that. And uh, what you can do is you can set up a, a station that you like. Uh, you can pick uh, particular musicians or groups that you enjoy and it will immediately populate an entire song list around the type of music that you like. Oh, man. So I've got Eric's favorite Christmas music. <laughs> and it is nonstop all year round. I love it. My dogs, when we leave, we put Pandora on. And guess what comes up? Eric's favorite Christmas music. They are absolutely indoctrinated, my two little Maltese. My kids, when we're at home and I get sick of watching all the blather on TV, I put on Pandora. And guess what? It's Eric's favorite Christmas music. And Jonathan the other day was sitting on the couch and he didn't really realize what was going on. He was doing his thing. You know, he's doing all his little shuffling and texting all the, all the girls and all the things that were texting him. And he was kind of, and all of a sudden, uh, some Christmas music came on. It was uh, uh, Handel's Messiah. And he kind of went, and he looked over and like, are you serious? And Holland was going, yes, yes. And Jonathan's like, you people are sick. You're sick. Something wrong. Hey, I love Christmas. I was, uh, I was with a group of students years ago. We had this old van. I mean, it was so old, it was pathetic. And we were at uh, New Camp Ministries, which at that time was meeting in Covenant College uh, in Chattanooga, Lookout Mountain. And on, I think it was Thursdays, we would take the kids, we'd go to the Ocoee in Tennessee, and um, we, we would go whitewater rafting. Well, there's 15 of us, perfect fit for this van, and so I get in the van, we're all excited to go rafting, you know, and it's 95 degrees out, 90% humidity, everybody's in shorts and t-shirts, and it's in the morning, and you know, we're going to go rafting, and the kids are pumped. I got 6th graders all the way through 12th graders, and they're all talking and jabberwalking, and they're doing all the things teenagers do in a van in terms of communicating with one another, and so while they weren't paying attention, now this is a little bit ago, so I didn't have a CD, I didn't have, uh, you know, where I could plug in my phone, but I had a tape, and it was Christmas music. <laughs> so I plug, plug Christmas music, and well, Jingle Bells comes on. And there was like this deathly quiet throughout the van. And one of the older kids in the back said, Pastor Eric, are you serious? Do you know what time of year it is? I said, absolutely. It's always time for Christmas. We're good to go. And literally three minutes later, there was quiet. They weren't talking. They all began to sing the Christmas music as we we're going to the Akoe. Jingle bells, jingle bells. I mean, they're just going off, man. It was like we were rocking down the highway to Christmas music in July or in June at that particular time. And they were laughing. This is so silly, but they loved it. They loved it. Yes, I know. I need that. I need that. Well, we're going to look at Christmas here a little bit. Matthew chapter... 1 verses 18 through 25. What a great passage. The Lord Jesus Christ and his birth. Luke obviously goes into a lot of detail, right? And generally speaking, when we get to Christmas time, 
Uh, in December, we begin to read through the story of Luke, and that's kind of the tradition because it begins to give us all the detail. Here, Matthew's purpose is to present the king. So he gives us a genealogy that helps us understand that Joseph is in the line of King David, and as a result, the Lord Jesus Christ, as adopted by Joseph, has the legal right to be the king. Amen. And in the midst of all this, we get several things here that I think are absolutely essential when it comes to our belief. He was born of a virgin. Folks, that is foundational to our belief. You don't believe in that, you don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. That's as simple as I know how to put it, amen? You don't believe in the virgin birth, you don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. I don't know what Jesus you believe in, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Secondly, Clearly, he came to save us from sin. He came to save us from sin. Why did he come? To save us from sin. <laughs> um, that's sometimes a little hard. We don't like dealing with sin. But I want to tell you something. Fundamentally, all of Christianity, in one sense, comes to that particular moment. Why did Jesus leave heaven in order to come to this earth? Why did he take on the form of a bondservant? Why did he become a man? Why did he come in the likeness of human flesh? I'll tell you why. One reason, sin. Period. It's a serious issue. And it's something we've got to deal with. It's something we've got to work through. We believe clearly that the only way to be saved is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us at the cross. Because we can try, we can be sincere, we can put every effort into trying to be righteous in order to achieve whatever standard of holiness that we want to try to achieve, and we will never be good enough in order to achieve heaven. Never. Sin is an issue. And the Lord Jesus Christ came fundamentally to deal exactly with that. Thank God that he did. Because if he hadn't, none of us would be able to enjoy heaven. None of us would be able to enjoy a restored relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with God, our Father. We also, clearly, he is now with us. Emmanuel, God with us. What a beautiful truth that is. No matter what you go through, no matter where you're at, no matter what's going on in your life, when you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ comes to live within you, and permanently so. You can walk with God in the midst of life. You can walk with God in the midst of every circumstance. No matter what it is that you're going through, you know that God is with you because the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth. Matthew is clearly writing to the Jewish people, and, and he therefore is not only desiring to establish the legal right through Joseph uh, for Jesus to be king, but also he wants to acknowledge and make sure people understand his unique birth, his unique birth, one of a kind, nobody else like him. He wants to establish his unique purpose in coming, and where did he come from? He is no ordinary human being. He's the God-man, and what a beautiful Beautiful truth that really is. He establishes the Lord's virgin birth, the fact that he's God, and the fact that he is as God came in order to save. And he quotes from Isaiah in order to validate, in order to show that in Jesus there is the fulfillment of prophecy regarding 
Emmanuel, God with us. This isn't something that just Matthew came up with. This isn't just something that a a group of people well-intentioned came up with. This is something that has been prophesied about hundreds of years before that in Christ Jesus himself is fulfilled. When you look at this passage, I think there's Many different points that you can get out of this, and and it's amazing. You you look at Joseph and how he obeyed the Lord through the angel and married Mary. What a beautiful truth, right? The, The word of God was given in order for Joseph to understand what was going on. He was thinking about putting Mary aside, and the angel came to him and shared with him exactly what was going on. Joseph had a choice to make, and his choice was a good one. He chose to obey. There's that kind of point that you can take out of this and you can begin to look through that. But I think fundamentally, the point of the matter and what Matthew is driving home here is that Jesus was miraculously born to save us from our sin. Jesus was miraculously born to save us from our sin. Three things. First of all, there's a special birth And it is a special birth. We celebrate it every year, and the truth of the matter is we get to celebrate it every day. Because when Christ comes to live within us, it's Christ, in effect, being born in our lives, and then he begins to live his life in and through us. We begin to walk with him and experience him. But secondly, there is salvation from sin. And folks, praise the Lord for this. Amen? Thank God. Nobody here is perfect. Me included. We all trip and stumble. Amen. 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We recognize that there's a point where sometimes as believers we trip and stumble. And when we do, thank the Lord for what he did for us at the cross. It's not just to bring us to the cross, but it's to help us walk in the reality of the cross. No matter what, no matter what circumstance, no matter what situation. Because the Lord Jesus Christ came to save us from sin. But thirdly, he was sent from above. Sent from above. No ordinary man. God with us. Emmanuel. Look look at this first point. Special birth. You know, I don't know where you're at in your life, and I don't know what God's going to do and doing and all that kind of stuff, but I want you to kind of think through this. The Lord can do great and mighty things. Think about that. The Lord is able to do great and mighty things. Here's the the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 1, verse 16, we'll go back to the end of that genealogy. He says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Here we're told of Mary, Joseph's wife. By whom, right? By whom? Jesus was born. It specifically addresses Mary, not Joseph. You don't really get that in the English, but in the Greek, it's actually in the feminine, which means it's directly pointing to Mary. In other words, what what Matthew does is he shifts, and instead of this son was begotten of Joseph, he shifts the attention to Mary, and he says, Joseph, who, by the way, is Mary's husband, and by whom? By Mary, Jesus is born. Technically, you could say out of whom, and he's speaking of the fact that he was born. He came from Mary. It's interesting because in this moment, Matthew changes the pattern. He shifts and he changes the established pattern that he has used throughout the entire 
genealogy. Joseph is clearly the stepfather. Jesus is not from or out of Joseph. He is not begotten from Joseph, but rather he is out of Mary. And the reason Matthew does that is to establish the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, not of a man. And what that does is it sets it off in a very unique way that Jesus' birth is special. It's unique. It's unlike anybody else before, and it's unlike anyone since. He's the only begotten Son of God, which means he's the one-of-a-kind, unique one. Think about that. Verse 18, the birth of Jesus, he begins to go into the details of it, was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Matthew gives the legal right for Jesus to be king through the genealogy, and now he begins to actually go into the uniqueness of his birth. It's kind of interesting because uh, the word betrothed here is important. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Jewish tradition. We have engagements. We have engagements. When I asked Stephanie to marry me, uh, we were engaged. And I gave her a ring and she said, yes, praise the Lord, thank God. And I was uh, engaged to Stephanie. Stephanie was engaged to me. But legally, we were not bound together. Legally, we were not married. We were not even considered to be married. The marriage date was set in the future. And at that point, when we actually had the ceremony, the service, that's when we were declared to be married. Not only civilly, in the sense of the state, we began to share names and share possessions and all the rest of it, but more importantly, in my opinion, uh, before God, we were considered to be one. And what a beautiful truth that really is. Well, betrothal's a little bit different. Betrothal's a little bit different. And what they would do is when somebody was betrothed, Mary was betrothed to Joseph, they were pledged together. That actually was a legal moment. It was consummated later on, usually a year later. But she was promised to Joseph, and so there was a legal right. She would normally stay with her family. She would normally stay with her parents. She didn't live with Joseph until a year afterwards where a marriage ceremony would take place. But in the midst of the betrothal, usually there was a ceremony of promise. And the idea of betrothal itself was the idea of remembering, remembering the promise of the woman to the man. And it did have a legal binding impact. It's interesting because when that took place, and Mary was found to be with child, it was as if she had committed adultery because she had slept with somebody else. And in the midst of it, Joseph at that moment had the legal right to divorce her because there was a legal aspect to this. I like what Spiros, how Spiros defines this. It was not permissible to betroth her to any other man except by action uh, amounting to divorce. And any violation of the rights established by the betrothal was as serious as if the two persons had been ceremonially married. They were considered to be married. They were considered to be together. And that may help explain Joseph's response. In our day and age, 
just break off the engagement and move on with life. Have a fight and legal opinion about the ring. <laughs> but in this day, this day, this was a serious moment because there had been a ceremony of promise, there was a legal right, and Mary was found to be with child, which is exactly what he goes on to say. But Matthew includes this, by the Holy Spirit, by the means of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Joseph, nor any other man, was the father of this child. Rather, this child is of God. By the Holy Spirit simply explains the conception of the Lord himself. He is fully man through Mary and fully God through the means of the Holy Spirit. He is the God-man. He is 100% man and 100% God. Now, if you can figure that one out, please don't email me because I promise you, you can't. (laughs) 100% man, 100% God in nature. You know, it's interesting. We were talking about the temptation of Christ. We're going to get there uh, in a few weeks in terms of Christ and his going through the temptation of Christ. The Bible says that Jesus came in the likeness similar to humanity. What's the difference? He had no sin. He had no sin. He didn't have a sin nature. He was perfect God, perfect man. It's a beautiful truth. Why? Because he now has the ability to go to the cross to shed his perfect blood so that we, by believing in him, may be saved. New American Commentary puts it this way, the Christian notion of a virginal conception was no more plausible in first century Judaism than it is in the 20th century Western world. Yet it has formed an integral part of Christian belief for 2,000 years. Though Matthew expounds nothing of its significance here, the virginal conception has regularly been understood as a way by which Jesus could be both fully human and fully divine. And that's very clear. Jesus Christ is unique. He's unlike any other man before him, during his time, or since. He's the only begotten of God. He is fully God, fully man. Well, why did he come? Well, in verse 19, we're given the picture that Jesus came to save us from our sins. And not only is there a special birth, not only can God do great and mighty things in our lives today, and he does it, and we've seen it throughout history, but also he came to save us from our sin. And folks, I think that's an absolutely essential uh, bit of information in the midst of all this. Jesus Christ, the Lord himself, is able, he has the power and authority because of who he is, to rescue us from sin. Verse 19, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Joseph, Matthew tells us, was a righteous man. It doesn't mean that he was perfect, but rather that he conducted himself well. He was a law-abiding man. He feared the Lord, and he followed God. He didn't do it perfectly, but that was his heart intention. His desire was to do the things that God had put before him. So Matthew immediately says that he's a righteous man. He didn't want to disgrace her. He planned to send her away secretly. In other words, he didn't want to shame her. They, they lived in a shame culture. He didn't want to publicly put her in a position where she would be shamed and the rest of her life would be marked in such a way. 
that in so many ways should be an outcast of society. He didn't want to do this in a way that would disgrace her. Verse 20 tells us, when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Don't you love how God intervenes? I love this. He sends an angel. We're not told which angel it is. Potentially, it's Gabriel. But God intervenes. He sends an angel of the Lord to Joseph to explain the situation. And I think it's interesting because the angel immediately addresses Joseph as the son of David. Think about that. Think about the importance in terms of just reminding Joseph what his lineage is. I don't know if you've taken time to really think through the issue of Joseph, but what a, what a righteous man. What a godly man. He takes and receives something from the Lord that from human perspective is utterly nonsense. This girl that I'm betrothed to is of child and it's of God? I mean, think about that. But he receives it. The angel comes to him. He's planning to put Mary away quietly. He doesn't want to disgrace her. doesn't want to shame her. He's going to break off the betrothal. But the angel comes to him and says, this is of the Holy Spirit. This is of God. And by the way, Joseph, remember who you are. What do you think that was echoing? I want to tell you what it was echoing. It was echoing prophecy. It was echoing what the Old Testament had said. It was echoing the fact that there was one that was going to be born of a virgin. And it was through the line of David. There was one that was going to sit on the throne of God or David forever and ever and ever. This is what it's echoing. And the angel comes to Joseph and says, remember who you are, Joseph. You're a son of David. What a place to fall from socially, right? He's connected to the king, David himself. Here he is, a lowly carpenter. And yet in the midst of it, the angel addresses him for the lineage that is rightfully his. Love that. Well, the angel tells him not to fear taking Mary as his wife because the child within her is of the Holy Spirit. And the angel, in effect, tells him three things. First of all, this is going to be a son. Secondly, his name shall be Jesus, Joshua in the Hebrew. Joshua in the Hebrew. And thirdly, why? For he will save his people from their sins. This is the Messiah. This is the promised one of Israel. Can you imagine Joseph receiving that information? <laughs> I can't wait to talk to him one day and say, okay, Joseph, what'd you think? What was going through your mind? How did you respond to that? What were you worried about, concerned about? Did you think about socially how you would be viewed? Did you think about how Mary would be viewed? What, what was happening when you received this information? I love the idea that Jesus, the name, his name means savior, savior, rescuer the one able to rescue or to save his people from their sins. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he says, There is salvation in no one else, no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. He is the 
Savior. He's not just a Savior. He's not one amongst many. He is supreme. He is the Savior. Acts chapter 16, verse 31, perhaps one of the greatest presentations of the gospel to somebody who's lost and crying out to know what must they do to be saved. Paul tells the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Wow, what an amazing truth. See, salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Salvation is in Christ. Why did he come? He had a special birth. It was miraculous. God can do great and mighty things. And in the midst of that, we understand that when he came, he came to save us from sin. The Lord is able. He has the power, the authority to rescue us from sin. And thank God for it because he is the only way to be saved. Well, third, he was sent from above. The Lord is with us. He goes on, he says, no, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And he's specifically referring to Isaiah. It says this, and he quotes out of Isaiah chapter seven. He says, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Matthew immediately refers to the Old Testament and actually the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew quotes from the Old Testament more than any of the other Gospel authors. Why? Because he's writing to the Jews and he wants them to understand in this particular sense the lineage of Christ, that he has the right, the authority, the legal authority to be king. But he also wants them to understand that Jesus came in a way like nobody else. He had a special birth, but he also came in order to save and he has been sent from above. He's divine in nature. John tells us that God is spirit. We understand from John that the Lord Jesus Christ is the word. He's the logos. Before he ever became a man, he has always eternally existed. He wasn't created. He's always been. He's from above. And Matthew wants to make this very clear. And by the way, he wants to make very clear that this is not just something that Christianity came up with. This is not just a great story. This is not just about a good man. This is about the God man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he quotes from the Old Testament to establish the prophecies that are now being fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 7:14 is the very verse that he quotes from. And Isaiah, hundreds of years before this, states, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. What a beautiful truth. God the Son was sent from heaven. He came to this earth. He placed himself under the curse in order to go to the cross to pay for our sin. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Paul explains it this way. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. 
right? Romans, Galatians is simply Romans where he wrote it hacked off, right? But Romans puts a banner and he says, all men, Jew and Gentile, have been shut up under sin. Why? To reveal to us our desperate need of a loving, gracious Savior sent from above. I love John 1.14. After John goes through the fact that Jesus Christ is the eternal logos of God, that he is equal to God, that he is God himself, in John 1.14 says the word became flesh. And that word become is the first time in that entire series of language that John uses where literally he's referring to human time. At a specific moment within human history, human time, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, he's the only begotten. He's the unique one. He is unlike anybody else that has ever walked on planet earth. Why? Because he had a special birth. It was miraculous. God can do great and mighty things. He came to save us. God is able to rescue us through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And clearly in the midst of this, he is sent from above. He's no ordinary man. Jesus was miraculously born to save us from our sin. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God gives us a promise, right? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be what? Saved, rescued, snatched. Well, we're here. We're still here, right? I mean, when I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I didn't suddenly have an out-of-body experience and I'm out of here. I didn't go into hell. I'm right here. In fact, I got the same body right now, a little bit older, bit of a different shape. <laughs> than what it used to be, but it's the same body. And what does he mean? Well, we're saved, we're being saved, and one day it's going to be accomplished, finished, because we're gonna be taken to heaven, we're gonna see Jesus face to face. What happens at the cross when an unbeliever becomes a believer is at that moment in time, the Lord declares something about us that is absolutely unalterable cannot be changed by me or anybody else. It is that I am his son. It is that I'm a citizen of the king. It is that I'm his child. He is mine. He comes to live within me. The Holy Spirit begins to dwell within my life. And by the way, I get all of the Holy Spirit. I get all of God because in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. And in Colossians, he tells us that Christ in me, the hope of glory. Therefore, I have all of God immediately at the point of justification in me, and it can never be changed. Think about that. Then, from there, I begin to walk with God, and God begins to do in my life something that he has already declared that is true about me. He begins to transform me into what he has already declared me to be. He begins to work in my life. He begins to put circumstances in my life in order to shape me and form me, to conform me to the very image of Christ. That is the work that God now does in me and begins to reveal through me. And through all of that, I look forward to the day when I will see my Lord face to face, because at that moment, I will be changed to be just like he is. 
pure, holy, with no blemish of sin in my life at all whatsoever. I am saved, declared to be holy, declared to be a child of the king. God is now working in order to conform me to his image, to make me what it is that he's already declared me to be with the hope and the assurance of what God has promised one day is absolutely mine, eternal life. Think about that, folks. When we talk about the Christian life, we talk about the result of Jesus coming to save. When's the last time we were overwhelmed by our salvation? When's the last time we just took time to get on our knees before God and weep out and cry to him and say, thank you, God, for coming to this earth, going to the cross, so that in me you could be formed and I could experience your life as I walk through this one, knowing where I'm headed and what God's going to do because you have promised it for me. Folks, our Christian life is built on the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth, chose to come in order to go to the cross, in order to rescue us from something that we could never rescue ourselves from. That's what unifies us. That's what brings us together. That's what holds us together in the midst of our Christian walk, in the midst of the body of believers and the Lord Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. The results of what Christ did for us is that he has unified us in him. In him. We're not just unified because we're at a place We're not just unified because we agree on certain ways of going forward. We're not just unified because we like chocolate or potlucks or whatever else. We're unified in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he's the one that begins to unify us. We don't create the unity. We preserve the unity. We make sure that the main things stay the main things. And we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the author and finisher of our faith. That's what unifies us. In the midst of it. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, he says, We have one body, we're one Lord, we have one faith, we have one spirit. One, one, one. Why? Because of what Christ did for us at the cross. And when I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and friend, I sure hope that you have, because the hope, the assurance that he gives can never be changed, because it's his word. He has promised something. And he alone will accomplish it. When we begin to understand that in Christ we are unified, in Christ we have one body, meaning one church, one Lord, one faith, one spirit, etc. We begin to understand the absolute magnificent gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you think I sing Christmas songs? It's not just because I like the music. I'm overwhelmed that Jesus Christ left heaven for me. That he came to this place, put himself under the curse of sin. And he said, I'm going to that cross because I know that kid going to be born one day needs me. Friend, 
If you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you today, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because he loves you and he went to the cross so that you could be saved because he knows that you can't rescue yourself. You're entangled in sin. And friend, I know all across this room, every one of us would absolutely admit and agree that when we came to the Lord Jesus Christ, we recognized we were entangled in sin in such a way there was no way out other than to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I right? Amen? That's exactly the point. God with us. God with us. I love this truth. Colossians 1.27, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Have you ever taken time just to ponder that? Think about that. God himself in us, in me. That's incredible. I remember being down in Florida, and I was about to preach a conference at First Baptist Mount Dora, and I was working through some of this stuff, and some of this was I was going to, and I just was so overwhelmed at nighttime before I went to sleep, just reflecting on the fact that Jesus Christ lives in me. And ever since my salvation, ever since that time when the Lord graciously made himself aware to me to this religious kid that had grown up in church, born on the mission field, knew more answers in terms of uh, the questions being asked and sometimes the teachers even knew how to ask the questions. Unravel that one. Christ in us, the hope, the assurance of what? Glory, all that God has promised for us. Christ in Colossians 3, 4, is our life. I've heard it said church is our life. No, 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 friend. No, no, don't get that backwards. Do not get that backwards. Church is not my life. Jesus Christ is my life. And when the Lord Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning from our hearts, then church has its proper place. And we begin to walk as the body of Christ and the reality of Christ in the midst of our lives. Christ is our life. Perhaps the greatest statement about the Lord coming to this earth is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following. If you want to look there real briefly, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Paul, in talking to the Philippian believers, clearly the Holy Spirit inspiring this and preserving it for us today writes this, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. Attitude means mindset, mindset. Have this attitude, have this mindset which we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse six he says, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That translation has driven me crazy for years did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Folks, let's understand something. The Lord Jesus Christ knew exactly who he was. He came to this earth, even at 12 years old, he said, I, don't you know I need to be about my father's business? And he wasn't talking about Joseph. What that verse actually is saying is that when Jesus claimed to be God, and he did, I am, I am, I am, right? When he claimed to be God, he was not robbing from God something that was not already his. 
In other words, when Jesus Christ claimed to be God, he was saying something absolutely true. He was not stealing God's identity. It is right for him to say that he is God. But even in spite of the fact that he had the right to say that he is God, he laid it down. Think about that. Humility. And then he goes on, he says, what did he do? He emptied himself. He didn't stop being God. He didn't cease being divine, but he laid aside the right of who he is. Why? He took the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Wow. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. He rescues. And as believers, because of that, because of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now get to walk with him. We get to experience him. We know where we're headed. Norma's there. Praise God. She's with dad. I don't know what they're doing, but I guarantee they're having a good time. Right? When you think about what we have looking forward to us, it begins to cause all these things to pale. When you begin to realize where we're headed, folks, it ought to absolutely make us look at all the things about this earth and begin to get corrected in our thinking about what are the most important things. Jesus Christ saves. And as the people of God, we are unified in Christ. We have God with us, God in us. And we are told to have the attitude which is also in Christ Jesus, which is one of humility. Even though I have a right, I'm willing to lay that right down and die so that others may see Christ in me. Friend, that's what this is all about. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me for a moment? What's God saying to you this morning? Boy, the birth of Christ is just an amazing moment. You begin to think about how it was in fulfillment of scripture and prophecy hundreds of years before. How it was miraculous because it was of the Holy Spirit. You look at how Joseph responded in obedience. You look at how God was careful to send messages, not only to Joseph, but obviously to Mary and others, in order to inform them and to communicate with them that what was happening was of him. The miracle of the birth of Christ, humble and lowly, coming to this earth to do one thing, to save, to save. Friend, have you experienced God's saving power in your life? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can receive the promise, the gift that he offers freely and abundantly, which is eternal life, salvation? I want to encourage you to do that this morning if you haven't done that. Don't leave this place without receiving, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as believers, how are we walking in it? How are we walking in the reality of the fact that Jesus came in order to rescue us. How are we walking in unity? Oneness with Christ and one another. How are we laying down certain things? For Christ's sake, for his honor, for his glory. How are we learning to die to self? 
and just say yes to the Lord, to walk with him. Would you stand with me for a moment? What's God doing in your life? Where are you in your walk with him, in your relationship with him? How's your heart? How's your heart? Are you at peace? Do you trust the Lord? You're walking with him moment by moment, day by day? You're experiencing his grace and his love and his mercy? You're growing in Christ? Are you in his word, trusting him that what his word says is true? Learning to yield to him, die to self. What's God doing in you? How's the Lord being revealed through you? I want to encourage you, if you need to come forward and be at the front and just pray, if you need to stay right where you are, friend, you may need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. Amen. Come and talk to somebody. Share with them your story. There's people at the front that would love to talk with you about the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't set it aside. Don't put it off. Trust God. Jesus was born in a special way. He came to save. He was sent from above so that we might have life, and not just any kind of life, his life, eternal life, to be changed, not only now, but forever. Are you willing to trust him for that? Believers, are we walking in that truth and that reality? Take a moment. You respond to the Lord as he would lead you. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church body. Thank you that we have the privilege of coming here to worship you and to be encouraged from your word and one another. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your grace. We thank you so much for all that you've done, for what you've promised that you alone are able to do, not only in our lives, but through our lives. Lord, we're grateful for you coming to this earth. We're grateful for your birth. We're grateful that we have the opportunity, no matter what time of year, to celebrate the fact that you willingly chose to come to earth, to go to the cross in order to save. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Father, I pray for this congregation. Lord, I pray that in every way you would work in every heart Draw us to yourself first and foremost and then to one another. And for what you alone are capable of accomplishing, we praise you and thank you. May it start with me. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in Christ and listen to some Christmas music. It's good.